welcome to The Trophy Life, the podcast where guests share their winning habits. I am so excited about this week's guest. She is Nikki Levy, host and creator of the award-winning podcast and live event, Don't Tell My Mother, where icons tell true stories they'd never want their moms to know. I know because I was actually a guest on her show. She's also the host of Audible's new Pride special, Owning It. In addition, she's a TV and film executive and also a proud alum of Northwestern University. I am so excited for you to meet her today. Listen along and don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. So, okay, so you grew up in the capital city of creativity. So tell me how New York influenced your, you know, devotion and passion to creative arts. Totally. So yeah, I grew up in Queens my whole life, like born and raised. Um, My mom's from the Bronx. My dad's from the Lower East Side. It's like, how Jewish can you get? And it's funny because, you know, growing up, I went to public schools my whole life for, you know, middle school, high school, all of that. And uh, I just never, I never liked it. I never fit in. I was a very depressed kid. I was very depressed. Uh, way to start this podcast off on a high note, but you know, Friday. And so what I would do is I would actually cut school a lot and I would take uh, a bus to the subway, to the F train. And that was my train. And I would go and I would go into the West Village and I'd take myself for lunch. And what I did pretty often is I would actually take the subway in and I would stand online at the talk shows and I would be in the audience at the talk shows. So Geraldo, I mean, all of those New York talk shows, I would be on in the audience. And I, I mean, if you go back to like the 90s, like I asked questions on them. Didn't your mother notice you weren't in school? (laughs) She's watching like Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and then you show up with your hand up. You know, she was a teacher and I got home before she did. And this was not voicemail days. This was answering machine days. So there's an automated message like, you know, your child, Nikki Levy from Benjamin N. Cardozo High School, did not show up to periods two through nine. And then I would just play it and then it would be done. And honestly, like I was a really smart kid. So, you know, I would make it up and I would say, oh, I would make up some stupid excuse. I don't even remember what they were at this point. But I mean, I did find the only class I was really in danger of failing in a real, real meaningful way was dance, which is so dumb. Like, why would I why would I jeopardize dance? I mean, anyway, I couldn't talk my way out of dance, apparently. But that's what I would do. And I would just spend a lot of time by myself in coffee houses, listening to live music, just I don't know, going going into little places and just like reading by myself. I'd see shows. Uh, I babysat and I worked at Staples. So that's how I was able to afford any, you know, anything. It was just a great way to see what the gay scene was in New York, right? I would take that subway into, you know, the West Village, West 4th Street. And so it was that and that's sort of the epicenter of art and music and and people, and I would almost say even more than like going to shows, which I I like, I really like to do. And live music is probably my favorite thing in the world to do, by the way. I've missed that terribly in the pandemic. But honestly, just like sitting on the subway and watching people and sitting in a coffee shop on McDougal Street and watching people felt like an education, actually. Because to me, like, I love to read. I'm a huge, I'm actually a huge audiobook person. I'm, I love audiobooks. Me too. Love, love, I love. I, too. Yeah, I, yeah, I could read like I think I have like 230 in my library. What are you reading right now? I'm in the middle of Presence, Amy Cuddy. Oh, I haven't read that. Yeah. I have, My whole thing looks like, wow, she's got problems. I have so many self-help books. Me too. 
but for the after my book came out, after like the galleys came out, I should say, I started yeah. li- I started listening to a lot of like parenting books. Yeah, makes sense. I like uh, omitted all self help and parenting books while I was writing my book because I didn't want ideas to cross over. That's smart. So, um, you know, I came up with this great idea. It's called the hierarchy of needs. You know, it's like, you (laughs) can come up with that. Um, The stages of grief. It's brilliant. Have you heard heard of Maslow? No, I I, I don't even know who that is. The dry cleaner. Uh, Well, there's a book right now I'm reading called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And I love it. I I love self-help too or personal development, as they like to say, so we don't feel bad about ourselves. Um, and I do um, like like old-fashioned philosophy books, too. Oh, too heady for me. I want like people who are going to curse every now and again, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm like, I do, I do like that. I do like this self-help, but I do like, like even my book is very light, but I still yeah, apply like some is- science to it, you know? I don't know if your book, I wouldn't, you know, I loved your book. Thank you. And I was so excited to read it. I wouldn't say it's light. It's, it's like, I feel like it's accessible, but it's not like bubble gum. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 But I mean, certain story, you, you're right. It's accessible. Um, but it's a lot of the research that I um, weave into it is not my own. Okay. You no, know, I okay. cite other people's research. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. But that's, that, that's what I love about New York. Sorry, I'll say that that's what I love about New York. And I used to think New York was the epicenter of the world. Like you're told that growing up, you know, New York is everything. And, you know, I'm so New York and everyone's like, oh my God, you're so New York. You're like, you say water, you know, or whatever. But I have to say, and people, I know New Yorkers are going to literally fight me on this, but I kind of think LA is the epicenter of the world now. And it's not just because I live here. It's, it's, I didn't bring the epicenter, obviously. It's just more like, I actually see LA as being more progressive than New York City. What what uh, is it that makes you feel that way? Well, uh, on a really silly level, like marijuana was legalized here and it's still not legal there. It's just just as a just as a legal example, but but I think more and more, like way more and more media is influencing culture like never before and media does for the most part, you know, the the lion's share comes out of LA. Of course, there are great shows that shoot in New York, by the way. There's a new show on Showtime called Z-Way. She's this great, really smart, like, talk show person, but she started with an Instagram show and she calls people out on their stuff. Can you curse on this podcast? Yeah. Or no? Okay. She calls people out on their bullshit. Like, it's it's amazing. Anyway, things, of course, shoot, shoot out in New York, but I do think they are born here. The development is here. And there is something to be said about, like, the fact that this truly is the epicenter of pop culture, that it then kind of bleeds into other places. I think it bleeds so quickly into New York, but I do think this is, like, is the lion's den. And it does feel like, I guess, L.A. definitely has more like pop culture influence. Do you think it's because of the incubation? Because L.A., not everything is accessible. You can't really like we can't say 15 people from various locations gather, but you can in New York. I know, but I also think two things. All the studios are based here in L.A. and the networks, they're all based here. So back when people would be together, you were together in buildings or you just slept the 20 minutes to your meeting, right? And you're there. But I also think obviously because of the pandemic, the world is so small, so it doesn't even matter where anybody is anymore. But I do think amazing creative, I mean, Adam lives here, amazing creative people flock to Los Angeles for their dreams. And I think it's specifically people in Hollywood, you know, for for TV and you know, and movies and writing, as opposed to New York, where maybe it's more finance, 
uh, more journalism. I don't know. I don't know. I hate to say that, but I kind of feel like that at this point. Yeah, I can see that, you know, just from I've only visited L.A., you know, um, but I've been, you know, I used to work in New York, so I do understand the um, the the old timiness of New York. Yeah, it's not as current. the The vibe is not yes. as current. It's yeah. It's I would say there's an old timiness and a predictability about New York, whereas it's very unexpected. You have no idea. Like all of a sudden, this man who came up with the jingle, who was an Uber driver, and, and in two days he has his own show. So crazy. Yeah, that scares me sometimes, you know, um, for somebody who, you know, has kind of worked a long career. And it's not, I can't say people have overnight success. You know, I do see how much work goes in the making and how much rejection. I do think it's sometimes it's the grit, you know, that you can handle that negative feedback and don't take it personally. You take it to, you know, make a stronger product or make a stronger brand, you know? What what did you do in New York when you worked there? Um, I did corporate, yeah, I did corporate training. So I would actually go in person. And then I did a lot of motivational speaking like at, Ernst and Young and um, Kramer Levin, you know, that like communication things about working, you know, getting along with your coworkers and things like that. And then they would always have like a wellness week and they would have a guest speaker. And then I would come in and I would talk about like, instead of work-life balance, I would talk about work-life integration you know, so that in, and you will That's see cool. um, when your family starts expanding that um, <laughs> you, you can't, it, once you say you're going to balance something, you do this for the audio audience. They don't know what I'm saying, but when you have your both hands are occupied, you have to keep balancing and juggling. But when you put them together, you have a stronger unit. I love that. You, I love that. So I really believe, you know, in that philosophy where yeah. you have, you have to wear the same hat. So Nikki, the person whose guest is the same person who's hosting, is the same person who's in a in a media meeting or a strategy meeting about a yes. new project, is the same person who's managing mm. the house, is the same person who's um, being a mom, the same person who's being a you know a loving spouse. It's that same person all the time. Yes, you don't have to keep changing hats. It, it lowers the stress. I can't stand people who. It seems like they're one way this way and one way that way. And it's just like, who are you? No, I, I totally get it. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty the same. I think. You know, there is a calmness. And I think that's when I'm kind of like a fertility magnet, by the way. So buckle up because... <laughs> Because for some reason, when I talk to people or you, when Adam was little baby Adam, okay, he went into this show, Stars on Ice. as little- I remember. It's in the book. Yes. Okay. As yeah. Scott Hamilton. And Jenny Mino and Todd Sand were married. And they said, they asked if they could hold Sawyer, who was five months old in a car seat when he okay. was recording. I said, of course. And I said, I just want to warn you that, you know, I have like fertility magic. Whoa. They, yeah. So they held the baby and then <gasps> it was a running thing over no. competitive career. They had two amazing boys. What? Have two amazing boys. Have, yeah. 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 So I look, if this takes, I will thank you. Oh, you don't need to thank me. I will also thank the shot. I don't have control. It's like, um, good energy. Colin. It's just around. Okay. No, I, I will take it because I would be thrilled to not have to shoot myself in the stomach another round. <laughs> you know, the thing, what we do as women, it's amazing to keep the planet progressing and growing. <sighs> 
if I said this to the to the nurse or to the phlebotomist on Monday when I had to get my blood, because, you know, I have to go in for blood and ultrasound all the time. I said, if men bled from their penises, can you even imagine they would die? They would die. Yeah. She told me men are the worst getting blood. Like they they faint all the time. Right. And women were just like, hey. And she's like, it's because we bleed every month. And so, the, like, yeah, I mean, a man could not be. I don't I truly don't believe most men. Let's just say this. I don't believe most men would be okay with that humongous needle that I have to put in my tush and then another needle I have to put in my stomach. <laughs> I mean, really, like, Jesus. Now, do you do meditation or do you like do breathing exercises? You know, I was a big meditator for a long time. Something I did in New York that I don't do here is I was religious about my yoga. I had an amazing yoga studio. I loved it. But this was before yoga got all like trendy LA and I, ugh. but I loved it. My teacher was a, was a, you know, a volunteer and his real job was working for the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority. You know, like it was just not what it is now. And I would do my yoga every week. I don't really meditate. I really don't. It's not that I don't know how. I've lived in Buddhist monasteries. When I was 30, I actually went on a, I left my job at Imagine and I went traveling by myself for, I don't know, five weeks and I lived in Buddhist monasteries. I just had to get out. I just had to get out of LA. I had to get out of everywhere. I had to get out of myself, I think, or maybe into myself. So it's not like I don't know I just don't do it. But audiobooks are a little bit my meditation. I just zone out and wash the dishes. Touching my dog is my meditation. I lay in the hammock outside. That's joyful. But yes, 100%, I should do meditation. I'm just saying for the future, because, you know, when you are pregnant, hmm. you do have some compression against your diaphragm. Right. And I wish I knew these things before. And now, like, I go to a physical therapist because I had a bad, you know, Adam's like, stop talking about your fall. You know, I had a really bad fall. <laughs> okay. And he's like, this is not your old lady fall, mom. Drop it. So because, <laughs> I know. I mean, I do something similar to my mother. So that's why I'm kind of like rolling my eyes at myself too. So I was coming into, I was doing a women's conference and I was going into the convention center and yeah. I was pulling my overnight bag, like with all my stuff in it. I had my phone in my other hand and, you know, it was like a brand new phone. And of course I didn't want to break it. So the suitcase got caught and I fell forward and landed oh. on my face. No. Broke my face. Oh, yes. What? Yes, it's in the book. I think it's chapter. I don't remember this at all. Yeah, I. It's the kindness one where where Dagny has to jump. Oh, leadership one. I think. Okay. He has to jump in and take over. Like I had all of these things that I had to do. I had to cancel them. Then I had to like oh. hire people to replace me. Oh, oh no. it was a nightmare. Oh my god. Then I had to learn how to use like full coverage makeup. Kelly, well, you look great. You've healed. It was bad, but I hit my neck. You know, oh. so I had to go back to work. So it really bothered me. So during the pandemic, I actually had time to get it fixed, like addressed. I shouldn't say fixed. Okay. And when I went to a physical therapist, I went to one place and then I finally went to one that was, she's Pilates. She's a physical therapist. She's okay. like a counselor. So she, you could just completely unload on to her. And I love it. It was, she's fantastic. And she just said, you have like trapped trauma in your muscles. Oh, of course. And, and and we all do, right? Like all of that. That's, uh, I forget what it's called, but whatever that massage is that you, you release. Myofascial the... release technique. So she's yeah, been like, doing this and mm -hmm. she said, you know, you've made it worse over the pandemic because you've been doing neck breathing and you've tightened up that sternocleidomastoid muscle. 
So I didn't even notice I was doing that. So now I am ultra aware because she, okay. you know, because some of the things that I did, I worked for a seminar company and I would speak for like probably seven hours doing all day seminars. So I'm in front of a room of executives, like teaching them about like the motivational interview yes, and it's yes. over a whole day. You know, we're at the, you know, the Marriott at neck, you know, and they're all sitting there taking their <laughs> notes. Funny. So I would talk all the time. And then when I was driving to the next place or I was on my way to the airport to calm myself down, I'd be like waving through the window, like singing in my car. Oh. You know? um, so I would be, I would be moving my mouth all the time. Then the <laughs> pandemic happened and it's like, so she said, your jaw is so unexercised. So she did this myofascial technique, like you said. Or we have to find you a great man. Either way. Just in case he doesn't have good hands. <laughs> we have to find you a good man. A hundred percent. I wish I knew people in, in uh, Pennsylvania. I know how to get to an airport. Okay. I'll think if I know anybody in LA. I feel like I, I see, I mean, I see nobody. We, we like don't ever go out. Any, I mean, obviously we just still don't go out, but let me think about it. I like setting people up. Oh, that's fun. My mom's looking too. But if I meet a great man, I will a thousand percent. I'll see if it's right for you or my mother. You guys are very different, so. I don't think there'd be crossover. I think sometimes if I hear somebody say something that doesn't think in a yeah. in a very inviting, inclusive way, it doesn't even matter if they're George Clooney. It's kind of like next, you know, I just can't even allow my mind to go there to yep. say yep. like, I would be okay with that. Totally. Yeah. And I think totally. that's pretty much why I've never really connected in a serious way to anyone over the last years mm -hmm. <laughs> because that has come out of their mouth. Yes. And people can learn. They can, but sometimes like when they're 50, they're solid brick. It's I understand. Yeah. I totally it's get cool. that. Like people at 32 can learn like, wow, you've yes. got some raw clay there, but you've got like, <laughs> it's already been through the kiln by the time you're <laughs> 50 or 60, right? It's just going to break off and, you know, become a plate that you can't use. Now, let you were going to you go, you're, you're learning, you're watching Sally, Jesse, Raphael and Raldo, all the masters in New York. I think I, I was doing it. I was visiting when it was less highbrow. OK, the less highbrow, very less highbrow, but fun. You know, I mean, it was all kinds of nonsense. That was just it was like the closest way for me to feel like I was part of Hollywood while still living in New York as a teenager. But you say you weren't a good student, but I actually I was very smart. I would just go once or twice a week after the important classes. Okay. Which is why I really fucked up dance. But like, you know, I would go after like whatever, you know, my chemistry and my, you know, calc and stuff. Yeah, I would take all the AP classes and all of that. The thing that made it easy is that when I got the college book, I knew I wanted to work in film, right? I always knew I wanted to work in film. I went to LA when I was 13 and I got to go to the Paramount and I was in love with Eddie Murphy. Like if Kelly, if I tell you I was in love with Eddie Murphy, I have a framed picture framed picture that I, I sent him a birthday card for his 30th birthday and he sent me back a picture signed picture that says to Nikki peace and love Eddie Murphy okay it was the best gift it's probably the best gift I've ever gotten I took like my allowance at 13 or my whatever babysitting money and I bought a $20 frame from Sears that's like a big deal you know I have it in my house 
Anyway, I love him. And he had a deal up a Paramount lot because all the movies he was doing were Paramount, you know, coming to America. And I mean, all, all of it, the Golden Child. And I, I saw the lot and I, I already knew I wanted to, I was sort of like LA, you know, California dreaming. But I was like, oh, I, w- I want to I want to work in film. And I applied early decision to Northwestern. I applied early decision to Northwestern because I didn't want to go to NYU because I had to get out. I had to get out of New York. I can't even express that enough. I had to get out. I just, I just needed a change. And my mom would ne- wouldn't let me apply to USC because she said it's for rich kids, you know, and we were not rich, a rich kid. And Northwestern seemed like great because if I didn't want to do film anymore, it was a great school. And so she seemed like that was safe. I applied early decision and I got in. And one of the reasons why I could cut classes is because I was already in, in like November. So like the whole rest of the year, it was like I was just eating Subway sandwiches and show like- Show up and not get arrested. Yeah. And just like, you know, it was great. So I was done. And um, and honestly, like, it, I, I almost think it's one of like the top two best decisions I ever made was to go there. And I'm not even going to say it was my decision. You know, I, I was able to get in. But man- what a special place. I, I did film and I did this special creative writing for the media program that I was terrible at, by the way, because I am i should not be a screenwriter. Like, I'm a great writer, but I should not be a screenwriter. But it was this very intense program. And, you know, I, I got to meet my best friends. They're my best friends to this day. They were in my wedding still. We're all going to Palm Springs from all over the country, all going to Palm Springs in, in a few weeks. And I don't know. It's the first time I felt like I belonged. Ever. I think when you find your tribe, you find people like you, find yeah. people who you don't have to keep explaining things to. Totally. Yeah. At Northwestern, they're nerdy cool. And I'm nerdy cool. Like, I'm not cool. I don't like do drugs. Like, I'm not like, I don't go to clubs. Like, I, I, clubs scare me, you know? I mean, even back when I was like 20, they scared me. But like, I'm like nerdy cool. And they were nerdy cool. And um, I was in a sorority. I came out to my sorority. I was involved with the girl in my sorority. That's a whole other story. Um, she was straight. It was such a mess. But um, but it's like it's like the premise of a porn movie, except she, you know, she didn't really want to date me. We were like, it was very. Anyway, don't date straight people. If you're gay, don't date. Don't try to date straight people. I did. Just give people one message. Did you try? You tried to date a gay person? I'm telling you, he saved my life. Because it was in the 80s, of course, and before AIDS was really known. Wow. We we were just best friends and we danced together and not as partners, but in the same. Right. And I was in love with him. Like, oh, and for some reason, you, we have this in our mind. Straight people that yep. fall in love with gay people think that we can. And I mean, I already I know now on this side of the unicorn umbrella. Yeah. That it's not, that's not a possible thing. It's not when it's your heart, you think like they're going to make an exception, like they're somehow, but we would, you know, he would stay over and we would talk and, but he, he was like, we will never have any kind of physical relationship, you know? Um, and just trying to explain, I think that's when I became such an advocate for um, the community because shortly after that, so many of my friends- This is before you had Adam or after? Oh, this is is when I was in my 20s. This is before I was married. Oh, before you were married. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, was I falling in love with a gay man in the middle of my marriage? No. No, no. I figured this was after you were divorced. Okay. Okay. Got it. No, no, I knew better. I'm a young kid. I mean, now I know that- Got it. You can't do that. Got like it. that's an impossible thing, right? Yeah. But when I was 20, <laughs> we tried I really though, right? was naive. I didn't know. Totally. 
I didn't understand. Um, I didn't under, I, I shouldn't say didn't understand. It wasn't a choice. I, I think there was a part of me that did, but I thought, you know how you think like they say, oh, we're sold out, but you think there's one more ticket because I really, really yeah. want it. You must have some more in the back. Yes. Yes. Please check the back. And I think that that's what, oh, if this was ever a movie, <laughs> that's what we would call it. Please check the back. <laughs> if you have more. And then, but um, sadly he died as did probably wow. almost of AIDS. all of our little tribe, you know, he, all he of died of AIDS. Yeah. yeah. Or complications thereof. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. some, you know, some people um, that I knew were also diabetic you know, and, and those kinds of, you know, if you had secondary issues, those kinds of things became completely unmanageable yep. with the pneumonia and infection and stuff. So, yeah. Um, and then it was just awful because it was cool when they were, they were dancing stars, like their family was super proud of them, but when they were dying and, and possibly contagious, cause nobody yeah. knew, you know, um, but people yeah. had such apprehension. Yeah. There was a lot of fear. I mean, I was, I was very young then, but I remember that. Yeah. And I know when I had Adam, um, I needed a blood transfusion and I, I, I wouldn't get one. So he was born when? 89, November of 89, almost 90. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know how the science was then. I don't know how careful they were then. So yeah. Oh, well, yes, I learned don't fall for straight girls anymore. And, but yeah, no, I loved, I loved Northwestern so much. It is the feather in my cap to this day because it had such a ripple effect on my life. I mean, I actually just taught, I'm, I specifically for this call, I'm, I'm having my Northwestern mug. Now, did you ever at, get called back to speak at a commencement or? I, I speak there a lot. I mean, not a lot, but like I just spoke there to a big group of kids. I mean, I guess they're not kids, but uh, I don't know, like two, like, like a month ago. Wow. Yeah. And I talk because I talk at a lot of places. I talked at like, did a thing at like NBC and a thing at the WGA, the DGA and about um, your story is your superpower and how, you know, how the things that make us, you know, embarrassed or the things we've always wanted to hide, how that actually becomes our biggest strength and how we could use that to get jobs, you know, to show why we're important in a room, you know, why we need to be there, why our perspective actually matters. So as opposed to like hiding that stuff own it and craft it in a way that, you know, hey, this is actually a strength I bring. And that's kind of like what Don't Tell My Mother is, right? It's like owning, it's like owning our weirdness, right? Because like, I love Brene Brown. I'm sure you love Brene Brown, I'm guessing. Love it. And, you know, she says like, you know, you can either stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness, or you can step inside and own it. And it's like, yeah, I'm like owning this shit. And like, otherwise, honestly, it's so much wasted energy. And it's also like wasted creativity. Right. We had an interesting conversation. I'm in this kind of think tank room on Clubhouse on Thursday nights. Oh, cool. And um, Hassan Khan runs the room. And they brought up the idea of failure. And most of the people, like I stumbled in to the room because most of the people in the room are from, Har they're all like classmates from Harvard, MBA okay. program. Okay. And I knew Amy Cuddy. She told cool. me about the room, like we were texting and how I know her is not through academic circles either. She reached out to me because my daughter's name is Dagny and her son is a musician and his first partner for five years or whatever, her name was Dagny. So she had never heard that name before other than- Yeah, it is, it is an odd name. How'd you get the name? Um, well, it's a character in Atlas Shrugged it, okay. it, it, in the book, but that's not where I got it from because that character isn't that redeemable. But <laughs> I, I got it during the OJ Simpson trial. There was an E reporter and her name was Dagny Holtzgreen. 
Wow. What a and great I name, remember by the way. that was like 94. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it was June of 94. Maybe the trial was in 95, but she was not born until 98 because the next, okay. the next baby that I had was Jordan. Okay. And I, she didn't feel like in my mind, she did not feel like a Dagny. Interesting. So I okay. I put that name on her. Okay. <laughs> but I wanted to, I saw Michael Jordan win like his fifth championship and okay. I just saw the tenacity and the brilliance of him. And I knew like she needed, this baby is going to need that grace, like that Jordan blessing. So she's called Jordan. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. So the, the don't tell my mother, I, I researched it a little bit and I saw okay. the, the Jewish journal 2012 did like, oh my God, long that's, interview. That's, that's like the first article. Cause it's the show started in 2012. It's been going on a decade. Yes. And now it's a podcast as you know. Well, I saw the whole thing and I saw like, damn, like incredible people that you oh. brought in to, um, uh, share those moments with their mothers. And how did you convince them? First of all, cause it was out, it was a live show in LA, right? Yeah. So I started, don't tell my mother in 2012. Thank you for reading that article, by the way. I think that's one of the first press things we've ever gotten. I started it because I was like a long time movie executive, which I didn't know. You didn't know this. Do you know that I just left NBC in December? I was the head of scripted for Streamworks TV over there. I just left. What? Wow. Oh my God. Honestly, so, I honestly, to- you know what? I try yeah. not to like imagine what people do or where, where like whether they're like, oh, I was a pediatrician, but now I'm like a crystal therapist. Like I, <laughs> I would love that job too. N- nothing surprises me. Mm-hmm. But I did, you know, obviously I did some research the other day and up until that point, I had no idea. That's oh. like through media in there because it was That's hilarious podcast host. I didn't. Oh, okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Cause it's kind of fun. Yeah. So when I moved out to LA, I was 24. I moved out here with like three suitcases. I worked at the oxygen network in New York and I knew I had to move out to LA cause nine 11 had happened. There was already not a ton of film in New York, but now there was like even less. I moved out. I found an amazing mentor. I'll tell you about that later. I worked my way up and, you know, yeah, I be, I ran a company at, at Fox Animation. And um, it's a company that the guy who directed like the Ice Age movies and also voiced Scrat, by the way. Anyway, so I was there and I will tell you, like, I come from live action. I love comedy. You know, I told you I love Eddie Murphy, right? That's like, that's what I love. And animation was so different from live action. Everything moved at such a glacial pace. So it's so, I'm so not used to that. And honestly, I was losing my goddamn mind. I was losing it. Couldn't, couldn't, I just was losing it. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, I need things to happen. Like, I need to make things. Like, what the hell? And I had stopped writing and performing. I used to write and perform all the time. And I stopped. And I stand up? uh, I would do theater. Okay. I would do theater. Um, I would do theater in New York and I would do theater at Northwestern when I was when I was a kid, student. Yeah. And so 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 yes, not a screenwriter, but like I would write, yeah, like stories and and plays and perform and all that. And I just had stopped to work with writers. So if anybody here knows the artist way, it was almost like I was like a blocked artist at this point, right? And I was like, wait, I I need to get back up and I need to be performing. And so I decided, and I'm also have like, I've had a very, very close, ridiculously close codependent relationship with my mom. I love my mom, but she's absolutely like, think of a typical New York Jewish mother and then multiply her by 12,000. That's my mother. So 
I want to do a story of things, uh, a show, a live show of p- things people don't tell their moms. And I decided to call it Don't Tell My Mother. There's a cheap trick song that goes, mommy's all right, daddy's all right, they just seem a little weird. And it was playing one day and I was like, okay, it's going to be called Don't Tell My Mother. And I asked people that I thought were like brilliant writers to be in the show and I would work with them like I work with my screenwriters, right? Let's do a 10-minute true story. I think of it in three acts, right? Like, like you know, what do you want? What What is this leading up to the climax? You know, how does it end? How do you either get what you want and realize it's not what you want anymore or you don't get what you want and you get what you need? I truly think of it as a three-act structure like a movie, even though it's a true story in 10 minutes. And I asked these like writers that, you know, like Academy Award nominated writer. And I will be so honest with you, Kelly, writers are the absolute worst storytellers, like the worst. Like they could be telling you a story of rescuing 17 children from a burning building and you will tweeze your pubes out one by one. I was like, that does not. And the first show was great and and people loved it, but I was like, this could be better. And then I was like, I know these great like stand up comics, people that are actors, nobody famous, but just, you know. And still, I'm going to work with them just like I work with my screenwriters. And it gave me an opportunity to host it and perform and do a new story every time. And it started in a lobby of a little theater that doesn't exist anymore on Fairfax, you know, in in West Hollywood. Then people that were known started coming because they just heard about it. And it was just like this little nothing thing. Just, hey, if you've heard about it, you come or whatever. And then we started getting amazing people, people that aren't ever telling and writing their own words. People like Tracy Ellis Ross, who's fucking brilliant, but doesn't, didn't at the time at least, write and perform her own words. She had brilliant writers write for her, right? Girlfriends, Blackish, all this. Tracy Ellis Ross, um, we did it in New York and had, you know, Kate McKinnon, uh, Lance Bass, Ali Wong, Hassan Minaj. And the idea always for Don't Tell My Mother, always, always, and still is people whose voices are not always heard. So we don't typically, we don't really tend to have a lot of white, straight cis guys on it. You know, it's queer folks. It's, um, you know, it's actors and performers of color. It's differently abled folks. It's people who have been a little on the outside because to me, those are the people who have the best stories because they've always lived a little bit on the margins. And that is, to me, the struggle is the story. The struggle is the story. And honestly, there are enough places in L.A. for you to see hilarious, uh, you know, cis straight white guys. And truly, there's enough. I don't need to create another venue for that. So that's what it was. And it became, you know, this kind of really big thing here and and New York. And so, um, yeah, my my some of my honestly, Tracy Ellis Ross, one of my favorite guests ever. Absolute favorite. Kate McKinnon, just like amazing. I'm trying to think who else has been like. Absolutely. I mean, Tracy Ellis Ross is one of my favorites because she told this hilarious story. Of whose mother is Diana Ross. Hers mother is Diana Ross of going into a, um, a boutique and asking to go see the clothes in the back, which I didn't even realize was a thing. Right. Like, oh, you know, what's in the back? And the guy was like this queenie guy. And he's like, there's nothing back here. And this is before Blackish. And he didn't recognize Tracy. And she said, oh, my God. And points to an outfit. And like, that looks like the outfit my mom wore in Mahogany. And he's like, what? You're your mom? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, your mother's Diana Ross. And she's like, yep. And he's like, I'm writing a book on icons. Please step this way. And he ta- he escorts her to the back. Meanwhile, she has to poop. So she sees a bathroom. And I guess if you don't, if you have to poop, you don't fit into couture things as well. These are things I don't know because I shop at like TJ Maxx. So she goes to poop and then the little flushy thing isn't working. That's, that's weird. She does. Nothing is jingling. That's strange. She looks. There's no back on the toilet bowl. It is a prop toilet bowl. She took a shit in a prop toilet bowl. 
She tells the guy, don't come back here. Don't come back here. I've left it a mess, but I'm so embarrassed. I left my wallet on my kitchen table. Please, please just leave. You know, don't come back here. I'll just I'll be back in 25 minutes. And she ran home, you know, she drove home and she got all of her stuff and she CSI'd it up like gloves and tape and Lysol. And she said, and with the same hand I used to shake President Clinton, President Bush and President Obama, I pulled that shit out and I single handedly saved Motown. Don't think I don't take care of my shit. And it's one of my favorite stories because these stories that are so important, it's about being vulnerable, but it's about owning it. You know, Tracy takes a crap like every other human on the planet, right? And like, and, you know, Kate McKinnon told this brilliant story about dating this girl from the deep south. And her mom was like so homophobic, but like, you know, Kate was trying to be, you know, at her best and show up as a nice girl. You know, this is before SNL. And Kate was wearing all white because apparently you like wear all white and you sit in juleps. And she's sitting on the swing on the porch in her all white outfit and she bled through her all white outfit on onto the porch swing. And it's like she was trying so hard to be this like upstanding woman, you know? And it's just, you know, and 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 I told in a in a in a show, I told a story that I called Ice Ice Baby about going through fertility and freezing my embryos. So now I have seven embryos on ice and it was really fun. And and now because there's no live events, Don't Tell My Mother is a podcast. And what's so awesome and what I actually love about doing it as a podcast and what's kind of cool about this this new way of life is now I get great celebrities like you and Adam came on. That was unbelievable. You know, Emily Hampshire from Schitt's Creek, who's a friend of Adam's too. Uh, you know, Constance Zimmer, Zoja Mamet's coming on. But they come on, they tell a true story, and then we call their mothers, as you know. And it's so fun because, you know, I could never do that here in L.A. or when we shot, when we did a show in New York or Chicago or Miami. Like, though now it's so much fun. You know, I get, you know, Adam tells me a story and this hilarious story about, you know, corrupting the computer by going on dicks.com. And, you know, and we got to call you and... It's so wonderful. And that idea of like owning our stories is is joyous. And by the way, Amazon Music just picked us as one of their top pride picks for um, Pride Month. I, re- I reposted it. I saw oh, it. Oh, you did? Oh, uh, thank you. I, I feel like really, I mean, proud, I guess, because it's just it's such a new a new thing. And it's just a labor of love. I do it right here in my closet where I am right now. I do a I do a podcast from the closet. Sorry, right. I think you know I I look forward to the day where there may be like celebratory things, but we don't ha- we we can celebrate Pride every month. We can celebrate oh, yeah. Black History every month, but it Absolutely. is nice to like jumpstart the year. So mm-hmm. I don't think of it as a month. I think of it as a renewal, like an anniversary. So I pour a lot of energy into that. Try to um, you know because I do some work as an ally, trying yeah. to. Of course, you do. Yeah. Well, I try to help <laughs> parents not rely on their kids to be their teacher. Parents start asking their kids questions about instead of what they need, why do you think this or what, you know, why is this? And they can't be their teachers. Like yes. parents need to reach out to independent, vetted, professional sources. Oh, by the way, I'm looking at the books behind you and I think they're arranged in a rainbow. They are. I love it. So what is in the... um Are you going to continue to be in L.A. when when you're raising this family? Of course. Yes. My wife's from here. So I'm L.A. I mean, I'm here for good. I'm here for good. For good or bad, I'm here. No. Not at all. You're just used to it. Yes, but I also don't drive much anymore. I don't even care. 
I mean, I so rarely drive. My car is so dirty right now because I so rarely, it is covered in cobwebs. There's, co- there's literal cobwebs on my car. <laughs> So I no, think I don't my daughter's mind, car because she was in France when the when the pandemic took over. So she mm-hmm. she had, she left right after Christmas and was in France, and her car for that whole year, from January of two thousand until December of two thousand. You know when when you fill out registration in Pennsylvania, you have to put down the mileage. Oh, okay. It only ticked up like maybe 28 miles or something oh my like God. that because I would, you know, we would just ride it around the block. So the battery would stay. Yes. Yes. Our battery died. Our battery died. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Our battery a hundred percent died. No, I don't mind it at all. No, I'm, I mean, there's nowhere else I want to be actually. Right. Like I, I'd love to live in Taiwan for a little while. Cause I absolutely love Taiwan, but um, no, I spend the majority of my day in this closet <laughs> recording the podcast or recording other things, you know, recording things for other people. Actually, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but did I tell you that Alexandra Billings, she's from Transparent and the Connors, um, trans woman of color. She's amazing. And she's actually on Broadway and Wicked when, when Broadway comes back. We hosted a Pride special for Audible. And yeah, we hosted a Pride special and it's true stories celebrating LGBTQIA people and experiences. And I've done it. This is my fourth time this year. Last year, I co-hosted it with Shangela, the year before with Tan France, and the year before that with Lance Bass. That was, they, they, they are, they're all fun. But yeah, it's Alex and I hosting. And then it's stories by Harvey Guillen from What We Do in the Shadows. If anybody does not watch that show, watch the show. Um, Deanna Reasonover from NCIS. Chase Strangio, who is the um, ACLU lawyer, trans guy, who fought and won the first ever Supreme Court case for trans rights. Okay. Um, he is amazing. Is this all on Audible? Yeah, all on Audible. Um, Jen Kober, who's a brilliant comic from the South, just brilliant. Shakina Nafak, who's a trans woman, also from Transparent, and another show on NBC called Connecting. Um, And Bianca Del Rio, the famous iconic drag queen. Yeah, so every year I, this is honestly what I spent almost all of my pandemic on was producing this because usually I produce it live and we record it for Audible, but I produced all of it in people's closets this year. Oh, wow. And that's so funny coming out of the closet, right? Yes. The irony is not lost on me at all. So yeah, so it was so much fun and that is out. So people want to check it out. It is it is honestly my heart and soul. It's on audible.com slash owning it. And it's called owning it. And it's exactly what you and I are talking about, about like owning our stories, stepping into the power. And it's funny and it's... Do, do you know the story that happened to me when I was on a plane? Uh-uh. Tell me. Okay. I'm on a plane going, yeah. I'm traveling for work because I used to have to go to the city on a Sunday and then stay there. Um, you know, say I'd go to Cincinnati, I'd fly to Cincinnati. I would be in Cincinnati. I'd land on Sunday. I'd work there on Monday, sometimes Monday, Tuesday. Then I'd fly to, or I would fly to Florida or somewhere else, or I would yeah. drive to like Dayton, you know, like it. it yeah. And then I would come home Friday night. One time I was on a plane and this is how powerful stories are. You sharing other people's stories, something is going to resonate with that person who really needs it. Totally. That's exactly. And I was exhausted. I got on the plane and it was like a tight, smaller plane, you know, like a CR jet. So this young man came and he, like, I put my ear pods in. I didn't want to be bothered. And then he's like, excuse me, can I get to, and he was sitting by the window. So I let him in. And this was after the Olympics. This was probably maybe April. Okay. 
And it was during whatever college spring break is. So late March, early April. And he said something to me about, I just want to warn you, I'm a talker. Oh, no. Okay. So then he started going on about how he went home (laughs) um, for spring break. It wasn't what he expected. Okay. Um, And then he said, you know, I thought it was going to be great because um, he's a musician. He was a violinist at Oberlin. And he said that he wanted to tell his parents that he found the love of his life. Oh my God. He's telling you this on the plane. Yes. So wow. he's going on and I, and I'm listening, you know, and he's like, I am so upset because the love of my life is a man. And, oh God, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, oh, it doesn't seem to bother you. And I'm like, this is your story. And I'm listening. So he's going and he's telling me more details. And he said, his parents, his father was a minister. They oh, disowned shit. him. Like when you, when you get Oof. your act together, you can come home. And then, you know, I was just talking to him and he was just devastated. And, and I said, you know, you went there, your parents invited you into their ignorance, right? You invited them into your joy. You have a choice whether you're going to move toward them or you're going to stay where you're at and stay in your joy. And hopefully they'll come around and want to be in joy. But it seems to me that they're the ones with the problem, not you, because you went there to share something. Absolutely. He felt better and everything. And then he helped me with my luggage at the end. And he apologized. He was like, I'm so sorry. I tied up your, you know, didn't get to listen to your, because I was telling him I was listening to a book, right? Ah! (laughs) He got my um, luggage from the overhead and he said, Kelly Rippon. Oh my God. That's crazy. You're not really Adam Rippon, are you? Oh my God. I said, I am. I'm his mother. Oh and my God. He started crying. And then at that point, everybody in the plane, because he was very loud. Well, because those planes are pretty loud, the engines. People knew what he was saying to me because he kept saying, I mean, Can you believe my parents told me this? And oh my God. like this the people crazy. around us were kind of engaged in his confession. I said, I am. So he started crying and he kind of got back into this. Like I stood back and he got back into the seat and he put his head on the thing. And, you know, you imagine this kid grew up in this religious home. <gasps> yes. He said yep. the entire drive out to the airport. All I did was pray for a sign. Are you serious? That, yes. That I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, so like it's oh. chills to think about it. And he said, knowing that I met because he said watching his boyfriend and he watched oh. at the Olympics oh. that gave him enough courage to want to tell his parents because he felt like he was living a lie because they would say, like, what are you doing? You know, wh- where are you going with your friends? And he said that he and his boyfriend had this relationship for two years and he had kept it a secret. And he felt like this burst of confidence after watching the Olympics. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, I, I believe in that stuff. You were you were meant to sit with him, clearly, right? Okay, so at the end of the podcast, we do an award ceremony. Over the years, creating your trophy life, you yeah. establish patterns and habits. You've learned mm-hmm. new things, achieved different things. Mm-hmm. What would your bronze, silver, and gold qualities that you've I established like that. through practicing these great habits of yours? You have to rank them, okay? You, you will rank them. You okay. be the judge. But I'll tell you the things that I think work. One thing is that being an executive for so long, I actually never felt comfortable doing that, never. And I made a really good living, so I kept doing it. But even when someone said, maybe this isn't what you should do, I actually took offense and I kind of like stopped talking to them a little bit. Like, how could they say this to me to stop this? And the truth is like, I should have been writing and performing and 
talking to people and helping people tell their stories and and that's my calling. I mean, I'm like the guy on the airplane, right? Like I'm always asking people for their stories or, you know, wanting to I don't know, wanting to know the genesis of people's experiences and wanting to share mine and and connect in that way. And being an executive for so long and having to be a certain way in a meeting and having to use certain phrases like circle back, it makes me want to throw up. And honestly, I should have stopped a long time ago. But something I'm really proud of myself is that I left. I left a great job (laughs) in December to fully do what I love. As opposed to Don't Tell My Mother, which I was doing as a live show and a podcast alongside my job at DreamWorks TV, I did two things for a long time, and that made it so that I couldn't dedicate my full self to what I actually am here to do, which is to tell stories. And so to leave something that was comfortable but didn't fit was really scary. I went part-time and then I stopped altogether. And I credit my wife with telling me, please stop. Like, please just stop because it is so much easier. I'm finding for me to do something that I love, even though I don't have a net, then because, you know, it's kind of scary to like leave your job, but to do something I love. And I actually think if I could have, if I could be successful in something that I knew wasn't for me, I was good at it, but I just knew it wasn't my calling. It wasn't. I'm not supposed to be in a room with other people, like in a eh, like corporate environment, like, ugh, it's so anathema to me. So if I could be successful at that, how successful can I be in something I'm actually meant to do? And that's what I'm doing. And I'm really proud of myself, actually. And the other thing I would say is like following my gut is maybe the most important thing. Because when I moved out to LA, I knew I wanted to find a mentor. I knew it. I knew it. I knew I wanted to find a woman. I knew I wanted to find someone who would teach me, who was successful enough that I could, you know, look up to, but not so successful that all they wanted me to do was get their coffee, like someone who actually cared about my growth. And I will tell you, I found the most incredible mentor, incredible mentor, who is a super successful producer. She has a show on ABC called For Life. She's produced so many movies. It's crazy. I became her assistant. I took the low pay. I worked my ass off. I wanted to make her succeed. I was there to help her because I knew in turn that would help me. But I did not go in, what what am I going to get from this? I went in like, God, I really like this person and I really want to like work hard. And she signed my ketubah at my wedding. So this is 19 years, you know, she's still my, my sister to this day. She has helped me get all of my executive jobs. She is the reason this podcast is set up the way it is. John Cryer produces my podcast. That's because of her. That's because of her. Her best friend runs John's company. And before I even pitched it out, she's like, you should meet with John Cryer's company. They're amazing. I was like, okay. I mean, and my gut, my gut said, I need this job to work. I need to get this job. And you know what? I didn't get the job when I applied. Someone else got the job and they wouldn't accept the money. (laughs) And then I got it. And just following my gut, I just, my gut is so strong. And I'm telling you, when I don't listen to it, I always regret it always. And I feel like at this age now, I'm like, I've done this enough. I fucked up enough to be like, you got to like trust your gut, Nikki. Like, I know it sounds weird. It sounds really weird that you should not say you should say no to this or say yes to this. Or it sounds really weird that you want this thing. But for whatever reason, like God, the universe is telling me something. So that's really important. And the other thing is like, I genuinely like people. I genuinely like people's stories. I don't really care about making up stories from whole cloth. I want to know your story and help you tell it. And the fact that I'm following that path, and again, that's a gut thing, 
it's making me such a happier person and I feel like I can accomplish so much more and help other people accomplish so much more as opposed to fighting myself. I'm now like moving with the wave. I'm moving in the direction of the wave and it feels so much better. Well, that is a pretty powerful, I would put them in that order, bronze, silver, and then okay. finally okay. being able to connect and, and yeah. help people have the confidence to share and to kind of transform that into relatable information for people that are the listeners, yeah. you know, um, that's, that's a gift actually. Thank you. I, I feel that it is. And it's weird that I thought I needed to, you know, I need to have health insurance. I need to da, 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 da. But like, man, it's like, I, I just believe the universe agrees with a made up mind. We get a fixed mindset about silly things sometimes, and sometimes about serious things. And a funny thing was when my mom was come, she came over when I was building the house, she said something to me about an ironing board cover. And she said, oh, they're so expensive. And I, cause I, my ironing board cover, something like spilled on it or something. And she said, oh, you, you better fix that. Let me, let me sew it. Let me put a towel, like she had all these great ideas about patching things. And I thought, okay, for some reason, as soon as she said that, I believed her. I didn't even question like- I can't afford this ironing board cover. It's right, such a big Because she said it's just too expensive. Maybe about a year later, someone was getting married and they asked me to do like some sort of like laundry basket, you know, so I would get detergent, hampers, uh, yep. an iron, you know, the spray starch, all of the things, maybe a sewing kit. And they yep. asked me to do like this themed basket. And that was my, <laughs> that was my assignment. Right. So I went to like a target or a pennies or something like that to buy the iron. And while I was there, I thought I might as well get the ironing board. And I was like, Oh, ironing board covers are so expensive. Not even thinking. And then the ironing board itself with the brand new cover was like $15. And I thought, wait a second. I, I have this embarrassing patched ironing board cover because somehow my mother said something and I took it as that it was Gospel. absolute. Yep. Growing up, my mom always told me if I was going to have a date uh, with a guy at that time, but she's like, you know, if I wasn't feeling good or if I was tired or, you know, moody that whatever, like, you know how you get. And that meant don't go on the date because you know how you get and that person's not going to like you. And I developed this thing, which was, if I'm not a hundred percent, don't go. Right. You know, and it's like, wait, but nobody's a hundred percent. What does that even mean? And I, I, I took that in, like, you're going to fuck it up if you don't, if you're not a hundred percent on your A game. And it's like, wow. Right. Like that really messed me up. That's so messed up to like believe that stuff. And everybody means well. Your mom meant well. My mom 100% meant well. She just wanted success for me. But well, we don't challenge it. And it's not until we challenge yeah. it that the conflict arises. Because I even say um, yeah. about the church, you know, I was kind of going along to get along. And then all of a sudden, when I told the Monsignor that I was rewriting the, the Bible a little bit, because I didn't find the words to be acceptable, because part of the <laughs> liturgy that the kids have to learn when they do. Um, I remember when you is, told me this in the podcast, um, too. Yeah, this is crazy. It says, it's uh, awesome. I'm not worthy. I know that I am not worthy to receive you. And I was like, I'm not having that in my house. I'm changing that to show me that I'm worthy. That's awesome. Like, I'm still using God as God, but you're going to show me. You're not going to, like, acknowledge that I'm a piece of crap, right? You're, you are not going to agree with me. And I said that to the priest and he said, you know, for 30 years, you've been saying it and you didn't have a problem thus far. And I thought, you're right. I have a, pro I, it's me that has a problem. Like they shouldn't have to change. I'm going to have to learn to feel comfortable with the guilt of resisting what is conditioned in me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like if we're unhappy with something, we have to be the one to change. Not like, hey, don't tell me that and don't tell me ironing board covers are expensive. It's like, actually, they're not expensive. I looked and I could get a really great one for 20 bucks. You know, do you want one? Because I can get one for you. You know, like, Kelly, I actually have to go because I have something at 1130 and I need to eat something before I do it. Because I'm Last thing is, tell us where we can find you. Oh, okay. Well, um, find me on Instagram and you should follow, uh, you should, but find me on Instagram. (laughs) You could follow me at at Nikki Levy. It's N-I-K-K-I-L-E-V-Y and at Don't Tell My Mother. Both of them are fun. And then check out the podcast and check out your and Adam's episode because it is absolutely one of my favorites, you know, everywhere you get podcasts. So Spotify, Apple, and it's just Don't Tell My Mother with Nikki Levy. And then one more Audible special. So much fun. Such a great way to celebrate pride. Just brilliant people telling like stories of queer celebration. And that's audible.com slash owning it. And if you're an Audible member, it's totally free, which is great. So um, yes, and 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 le- leave a review because I love reading them. Any review. I just I just enjoy it. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I appreciate thank you it so much. Thank you for having me, Kel. I was so excited to get to hang with you. I loved having you on the podcast. So I was so excited to get to spend some time together. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Trophy Life. For more information about this podcast or my book, Parent Up, check out my website, kellyrippon.com, or follow me on Instagram, K-R-I-P-P-O-N, Crippon. Don't forget, please leave a comment, subscribe, and hit those stars. Boost up the algorithm. Let's get this podcast out to as many people as possible because we all deserve to learn those winning habits. Thanks for listening.